Welcome to Madcasters. You have just tuned in to the difference makers of a new generation. If you're looking for that disciplined effort to change your life, or the inspiration to make a difference in your communities and the world, Madcasters, this is the launch pad for you to go mad. Welcome to Madcasters. I'm your host, Brian St. Louis, and today's episode is a very special episode. This month is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and I found it my obligation to raise awareness on human trafficking on my platform. With us today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Marquis Williams, and she is what I call a real-life hero. Her story is absolutely inspiring, and it's also very important for us to hear. She has truly allowed herself to be so vulnerable and to share her experience, which I need us to understand is not easy at all for any human trafficking survivor. So the mere fact that she's with us today is a blessing. She has bravely shared with us uh, what she has gone through, what brought her here, her experience, and her life after being trafficked. I'm also asking for your undivided attention, your empathy, and your understanding to listen to her story with no judgment. If we want to help in the fight against human trafficking, we must be able to hear and to champion against this evil, but to support our victims as well and survivors. We will be breaking this up into two episodes. The first episode will be focusing on her life before, during, and after being human trafficked and her as a survivor the second episode will be focused more so about the myths facts and how we can truly help prevent and champion against human trafficking it's time now for us to listen to marky's story marky thank you so much for being on madcasters why don't you introduce yourself and tell us just a little bit more about who you are Hi, Brian. Thank you, first and foremost, so much for inviting me to be a guest on Madcasters. Um, I love what you're doing here and trying to make a difference, literally, um, by sharing people's stories. So thank you so much. Um, love what you're doing. And I'm uh, very much appreciating that you invited me to be a guest on here today. So um, yeah, so my name is Marky Williams. I am in the greater Seattle area. I am best known in the fitness world um, as a bikini athlete in the sport of bodybuilding. So awesome. Bikini is one of the divisions of bodybuilding. Uh, I've been doing that for about five years now. And at the same time, I've also been advocating for uh, victims and survivors of domestic violence and human trafficking. I myself am a survivor of domestic violence and human trafficking. Um, and so what I've tried to do f- over the past few years, um, since building a platform in, um, the fitness, uh, and, and bodybuilding world is, mm-hmm. is that to, um, inspire and motivate other, uh, survivors of, uh, of survivors of abuse, domestic violence and human trafficking. And really, um, the message to them is to encourage them um, not to give up on themselves, not to abandon themselves to the situation that they're in, to believe that there is life after abuse and that they 
are capable of redefining their future. Fitness mm-hmm. is the way that I reinvented myself and redefined my future. Um, and there are a million different ways to do that. But I have since the beginning tried to be kind of the living proof of that um, mm-hmm. that statement and example. Um, in addition to that, I'm also a real estate broker and I work with buyers and sellers and, and investors in the greater Seattle area. You wear multiple hats. I do. <laughs> Too many sometimes, but yeah, I feel you on that. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. It's uh I, I just want to say so I'm I'm just very glad that you that you're able to once again take the time to be here. But it's very brave because I know that uh many people don't know how to share their story. Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes they don't even know they don't even want to share their story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being able to be vulnerable, being able to be authentic. Uh, once again, this is something that we that we always talk about here on our show. But uh, your story is is very very uh, vulnerable to be able to share the things that you're going through, that you've gone through. And so I, I just once again, I really I really hope that whoever is listening to this is able to really gleam and take what they need to from this story because uh, you have a very powerful woman that you're listening to at this very moment. So thank you so much again, Marky. Yeah. Uh, can you can you kind of tell us what how how did it happen that you found yourself in the in the position of of being human trafficked? I mean, bring us to, through that journey from before, during and after. Mhm. So my story started um back in 2011 Mm -hmm. when I was a recent graduate from the University of Akron. I came from the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a music degree and um, I was also working on a dance minor, which I didn't quite finish. Um, And I was trying to go to Spain. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd done a couple intensive dance and music studies in Spain and I was trying to get back there. Um, and uh, the Fulbright grant that I applied through didn't didn't completely work out for me. So kind of trying to figure out what my next step was going to be. Um, I didn't want to stick around a small town. I was really, really ambitious. I wanted, you know, I, I wanted to do something. I wanted to make a name for myself. I wanted to get myself out there. And I thought it's not going to happen in a small town. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I looked at Seattle because I have an older brother who had moved out here a couple years prior. Um, and I, we aren't very close. Um, but I thought if I know at least one person in this town, you know, in this new city, I'll be okay. Um, okay. so I, I moved to Seattle, just kind of packed what I could in a couple suitcases. Um, I had a cat and a dog and moved them with me too. Awesome. Um, and just, um, just started a new life here in, in Seattle. Um, and when I got here, I was initially working um, as a personal executive assistant um, for a, a very wealthy um, business owner. And um, uh, on the one hand, it was fun. There were some, you know, a lot of interesting things about the job. Um, but on the other hand, it was very difficult because I worked really, really long hours. Mm. 12 hour days were kind of like the minimum, you know, mm. sometimes I was working 14 hours a day or longer. Um, so oh, wow. very, very long days. And, you know, the the thing about 
working a uh, demanding job um, and moving to a new city is that it makes it really difficult to meet people and to develop a a social circle, a friend circle. Mm -hmm. So I really didn't have um, a group of friends initially when I moved here. Mm. Um, Like I said, I had my brother, but we weren't super close. And um, I, I was interested in, you know, dating. I kind of avoided that in college because I was very career focused and I thought, I don't want to have a relationship. I just want to focus on what I'm doing and, Mm. you know, want to make a way away from myself. I'm not trying to, you know, get serious with anyone or get married or something like that. I'm trying to really focus on myself. So I really avoided any kind of serious relationship or dating in college. Um, And so now I thought, okay, I'm in, I'm where I want to be. I'm in Seattle. Now I can meet somebody. Right. Um, And so that's when I looked into online dating and um, met somebody and um, very quickly um, became involved in a relationship. Um, And that's when things took a very wrong turn for me. Mm. Do, do you feel like you had the opportunity to get to know him enough before you got into that relationship with him? No, I definitely didn't. Mm. And when I think back about this situation, there, there are so many red flags, but one of the main red flags in my experience and that I think is common among many abusive relationships is the urgency and the speed in which the relationship Mm -hmm. has to come together. So basically what happened, um, I met this guy, we had sort of this initial spark attraction to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, he seemed to be kind of down on his luck, you know, um, his family wasn't a great family and he was just going through a hard time trying to get a new job. Um, kind of the world is against him where, uh-huh. you know, that he'd been through a lot of abuse as a child. So um, he immediately established himself as a victim and yeah. I'm an empath. And so I feel a lot of empathy for people. Yeah. Um, Same here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um so within the first few weeks of dating, he announced that um, he was going to be moving way across the country. He was going to move to Miami because oh, things, wow. things just weren't working out for him in Seattle and kind of as he'd already alluded to, you know, trying to figure out a new job or what he was going to be doing. Um, and so, and I felt kind of disappointed. I thought, well, darn, I like, I thought there was some potential here, you know, like I know I, we only met a few weeks ago, but um, it definitely, there's like a spark and it definitely seems like, um, you know, I would want to explore this further. Mm -hmm. So, and he asked, um, he asked, well, you know, if you could have it your way, what would you want? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, you know, not to be selfish, but I'd want you to stay. 
And so he's- and how old were you at this time, by the way? I was 23. 23, okay. Very young. Um, and also, um, I will just point out, since we were talking about age, um, 20, the early 20s is the most vulnerable time for someone to enter mm-hmm. into an abusive relationship, according to national statistics. Um, so I was right, right in that age. Yeah. Um, Do you and- know do you know why? Like, what about that specific time period is 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 causing that vulnerability? Um, I think perhaps because you know, in our early twenties, we're still discovering ourselves. We're still finding our way. You know, we're we aren't. Um, most of us, I think, at that age, are not a hundred percent confident or secure in ourselves, and so there's still a lot of room for influence. Yeah. And there certainly was with me. And, um, so when I, he asked, you know, what, if you could have it your way, what would you want? And I said, Mm -hmm. I'd want you to stay. Mm -hmm. Um, and he said, okay, well I can stay, but only if you're my girlfriend, you know, kind of asking in a, not, um, not in a ultimatum, like super serious way, but in a, um, in a way that was kind of like, oh, that's so sweet, you know. Yeah. Sure. Okay, I'll be your girlfriend. You know. So again, this is what I'm talking about is there was this urgency like mm-hmm. like thinking about it. I needed to be his girlfriend after you know, a couple of weeks or he's gone. Right. You know. So Yeah. Um not long after we were in a an official relationship I noticed he was a jealous person. Mm-hmm. Um, so he didn't like that. I had other guy friends, um, even though they weren't in Seattle, I hardly knew anyone at that point. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that I had different guy friends um, in my phone on social media, he would, he would make comments about that and he didn't think it was appropriate. Um, he didn't like that. My, boss was a man and that I was spending a lot of time over, um, over there working for or with him. Um, so That's, yeah, yeah, he, he be started to let me know that he was not okay with me, um, having guy friends or basically being around any oh. other guys except right. him. Right. And, um, over time, it just became more and more um, controlling in that in that manner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would I would feel like, well, I can't really even make small talk or conversation with anybody, you know, because that um, that might make him feel bad or feel upset. You know, he's got some things that he's working on and he's admitted that to me. So Mm -hmm. I should be supportive and not do anything that might Mm -hmm. antagonize him. Um, and from there, um, he, he started, um, isolating me again. I can talk about these things in retrospect that I didn't know at the time, but I know now. So, um, 
when we decided to tell my parents that we were living together, um, they were not happy about that at all. Yeah. So <laughs> they, you know, first of all, they haven't met him and I'm, you know, a couple thousand miles away from them. Um, and, uh, they had a conversation with him on the phone and, and just felt like he was very, um, very condescending and kind of very aggressive. And so they had a lot of alarm bells that were going off and they were not happy when he and I were living together. And how long did it take from you to get to know him to that point where you ended up living together? Oh, that was pretty quick, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So that was very quick. Um, that was back when we, after we became official, mm -hmm. um, and he said, well, I don't know if, um, it makes sense for me to renew my lease or to, um, to find another place when we're so fresh into this relationship. So I think it makes more sense for us to live together, for me to move in with you. And if things are going great, then no problem. I'll move out. I'll get my own place to live and we'll just keep dating, but we'll live separately. Um, but if we decide it's not working out, then at least I haven't wasted money and time, you know, renewing my lease or whatever. Um, and so he said, you know, it would, wouldn't it make more sense if I just moved in with you temporarily, uh. which at the time I was not completely comfortable with. Uh. Um, however, again, I, looked at his perspective and I was empathetic to mm -hmm. that. And I tried to be understanding and say, okay, I, you know, I see where he's coming from. And after all, he's staying here for me. <laughs> he was going to move across the country and now he's decided to stay here um, just to be in a relationship with me. So it, the least I could do would be to let him move in with me temporarily. Right. Um, so it was probably six months later though, that we actually talked to my parents and said, Hey, you know, we're living together and, um, you know, this is what it is. Um, they were not very happy about that and would talk to me and kind of discourage me from the whole relationship, to be honest, um, they just had a lot of red flags that they saw. And my boyfriend used that as um, fuel and as a reason to um, discourage me from having a relationship with them, period. He would say things oh. like, well, you know, it's, if all they're going to do is say negative things or criticize you or criticize our relationship, um, I don't want you to talk to them. You know, I think that's a waste of your time. And then eventually getting to the point where, you know, who, um, who matters most like our relationship or your parents. So really giving me that ultimatum of kind of, you have to either choose, um, 
you know, choose them or choose me. Yeah. Um, he was really trying to isolate you. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. And again, I didn't realize that at the time, but um, that's exactly what he was doing is I, I had, as long as I had um, a connection to anyone who was questioning our relationship or who could potentially mm-hmm. threaten our relationship, um, he wanted to remove them. He needed to remove them um, in order to take the next steps. Wow. So unfortunately um, I followed his direction and told my parents, look, if you aren't going to accept this relationship, if you don't have anything positive to say about our relationship, um, then I don't want to have a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so I, I definitely, was the first one to push them away. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, they weren't. Um, they weren't there when I needed them later. Um, I think they were probably very hurt by that, mm-hmm. um, and and probably also just a lot of tough love too. Unfortunately, um, kind of that. Um, you know, you made your decision now deal with it. So not long after I, I did that. Um, he sat me down one day and told me that, um, he had been abusive with, um, an ex-wife and another girlfriend, but this is nine months later, this is about nine months into our relationship. Yeah. And he said, I don't want you to worry about it. That's not something I would ever do to you. But I just want to be completely honest with you. Mm-hmm. And, um, get this off my chest and, and let you know that this is something that happened, but it's in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, again, in retrospect, um, I recognize that by this time he'd been very emotionally and verbally abusive. Mm. So the, the physical violence hadn't started at that point, but emotionally very abusive. Wow. Time. How, how did that look like exactly? Just, just so someone could understand mm-hmm. what emotional abuse can, can feel just so if our listeners may be, maybe going mm-hmm. through a situation like that, they understand. Well, for example, um, like I mentioned, he initially made himself a victim mm-hmm. when I very first met him. And from our early conversations, he was the victim. Mm. His biological parents were abusive, all his foster homes and his step parents, which may have been true. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe that that is true. Um but he was also a victim of everything else. He was a victim of not having a good job, mm. a victim of a lack of education. Um, he was a victim of, um, you know, uh, his ex-wife and having to pay child support. So he, every, every possible um, challenge or struggle that one could deal with in their life, he was always the victim. Mm. Well, everybody was against him 
and he is just trying to, you know, live his life and heal himself. And um, due to one thing after another, um, he's unable to do so. Right. So with that in mind, um, he was able to excuse things that he would say. Um, if he made a nasty comment to me or said something to hurt my feelings, you know, he might apologize for it later, you know, but say, well, you know, I'm going through this X, Y, or Z and I'm, I'm trying to heal myself. I'm not healed yet. And, um, you know, that's why, you know, sometimes I'll say these things. So he never took full accountability for his actions. Never took full accountability for any of his actions, um, anything he would say. And what this transitioned to was when the physical abuse started happening was that, well, I have anger management issues and I can't help that my hands just fling out, you know, or hit you or something happens. I can't control myself in that moment because I have anger management issues. And so again, even though, I was eventually the one who was uh, a victim. He would twist it so that he was still the victim of this situation. And how, um, um, how inconsiderate of me to say or do things that might antagonize him or trigger him into one of these episodes. So, um, and what that looked like, it could be, it, there, there are so many stories. Um, <laughs> we wouldn't have even time to go into all of them, but it could be something as simple as, you know, me saying, Hey, could, could you not spend my money please without asking me on X, Y, or Z? Um, or when I found he would start opening credit cards in my name um, and just, confronting him on something like that would make him just completely blow up um, and, and turn into a, a violent episode. I just want to make a quick comment here. Mm-hmm. As a man, from the perspective of a man, I think that it's very important for us to allow our spouses, girlfriends, whoever it is, to challenge us. And I'm not even talking about the fact that uh, you may be an abusive individual or something of the sort. I just know too many men who have an issue being challenged by their significant other. Uh, I remember from the moment I met my wife, my girlfriend at the time, she challenged me. She challenged my spirituality. She challenged mm-hmm. um, the way I thought. And she she would she would have the room to speak into my life, and it made me a better person. If we are not willing to allow our spouses, our girlfriends, to challenge us, we're we're not allowing some of the greatest minds in the world to be able to 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 speak into our lives and to make us better people in general. I, I think that culture within men to overbear conversations or not to allow their 
their wives or girlfriends to to speak into their lives is is toxic and and i think that's you know as a man i'm i'm willing to stand up against that now uh and and to make sure that my platform is is open to that understanding absolutely that's a great point brian and um and with with challenging you know for for women or the you know whoever might be challenging um um a com- in a conversation or having a disagreement it doesn't mean yelling or screaming or that's right. You know, um, you know, stomping your feet or slamming your fists. It just, it I mean, challenging or having a disagreement can be a very calm, mm-hmm. um, collected thing, and it should be. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, if we want to point out another red flag in a potentially abusive relationship um, or just something that could be problematic in a relationship is if someone is not allowing you to ever offer another opinion or idea, um, it's, you know, if it's their, my way or the highway, Mm -hmm. um, that's a problem. Mm. And, and so that's really what it was um, in this relationship. Um, It got to a point where I didn't have an opinion on anything. Right. Um, I wasn't allowed to, you know, communicate freely with, um, you know, a member of the opposite sex or even within my own, you know, long distance friendships. Um, he was closely monitoring all my social media Sometimes he would be frequently, he would be um, in my accounts and communicating with people um, as if he was me. Wow. Um, And um, another step he took in the isolation was um, constantly changing my phone number. And again, I didn't have say or control in this. It was just, here's a new phone and here's a new phone number. So when I go back and think about anyone trying to stay in touch with me or my family, it definitely would have been a lot more difficult for them because now at this point, my social media is controlled. My phone is controlled and monitored constantly. My number is being changed. Mm -hmm. So it's, it was becoming more and more difficult for people to, stay connected with me and Mm. nobody knew what was going on. Mm. Wow. So if I, if I skip to uh, the part where human trafficking started, that would be in the second year of our relationship. Um, So again, by this time, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, financial abuse, sexual Mm. abuse, physical abuse was, that was my life Mm. pretty much every day in some way, shape or form. Um, and when I would tell him, Hey, I I don't want to do this anymore. Uh I'm, I want to leave. I want to break up. Um, he would, 
go into a violent rage and attack me and threaten to kill me if wow. they were left. So in the second year, um, there was an accident that he was in and he was injured. Um, and I was taking care of him. Um, and it was, it was pretty miserable. He's, he's already a victim and now he's injured. So he was, um, even more difficult to, to be around. And through this process, I lost my job. And so now things are kind of getting desperate. He doesn't have any income. Um, we have no savings because he would blow through any money that I had. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have any available credit because he'd already maxed out all my credit. Yeah. Um, and so it was, you know, where I'm now I'm just selling any jewelry that I have, just trying to keep the lights on basically. Yeah. Um, and he said, you know, we don't have to live like this. Um, there's something you can do and you can make a lot of money. And he said, um, it'd just be for a short time until we can get back on our feet. Mm -hmm. um, and what it is, he explained, is you can offer massages. Mm -hmm. He said, you don't have to be a licensed massage therapist. You just offer um, massage services and clients will come to the house and you can see them and um, it can be all cash kind of basically under the table. And he said, just do that for a couple months. He's like, it'll be really successful. I already know it will. Um, and then when I'm healed, I'll go out and get a job and then you can go back to looking for a job. But he said, you know, we don't have another two weeks free to wait for a paycheck. Like we need money right now. And so what he did was um, he scheduled a massage and I had a first client come over. Mm -hmm. Now the way he did this um, unbeknownst to me, was that uh, he advertised, and this was on Craigslist um, mm -hmm. back when they still had like a personal section and massage services. So he advertised on Craigslist, you know, with a kind of suggestive photo of me. Mm. And a, he had a third phone. And so he exclusively communicated with anybody that responded to that ad. And so my first client that came over um, was kind of aggressive, trying to grab me. Um, you know, he was completely undressed, um, didn't wear a drape or anything. Um, and so it was uncomfortable. Um, and afterwards, he kind of um, hung around for a few minutes and sort of drilled me with questions and that, well, I was waiting, I, I was expecting more, you know, this is, I thought I paid for 
an additional service. Um, and I said, no, it's just, just a massage. That's what you're here for. And uh, when he left, I talked to my boyfriend. I said, what, what was that? Like he, I, I thought you just booked a massage client. And then he came over and he, it was expecting something different. Like he wanted something sexual for me. And my boyfriend kind of blew it off and was just like, Oh, some, some guys are going to be like that, you know? So you just have to put your foot down and just tell them that's not what this is. You know, if they make you uncomfortable, they just have to leave or, you know, I'll kick them out. And so what was going on though, I learned later is that he was um, insinuating through the ad that there, I was going to provide um, erotic massage, sexual service or sex to these clients. Um, And when they booked the appointment with him and they asked for very specific sexual things, he would tell them that they could have it and that I was going to provide it to them. And so like, I just want to reiterate the fact that this was completely out of your, um, your understanding of what was happening behind yeah. the door. Yeah. Again, I, I can um, talk about these things with a lot more clarity now hmm. and things that I found out along the way, but um, the way he operated it leads me to believe that he'd actually had experience with this prior to being in a relationship with me Mm. Um, because from the beginning he knew how everything was supposed to go. Right. So from having a separate phone number, the way he placed the ad, um, the way he would have me manage the appointments. um, I always had to collect the money up front because he said, um, if they, um, if you don't do what they want you to do to them, they, um, won't, pay. they won't pay you. So mm. you have to get the money up front. So just knowing all of these things, um, it it was like he already had experience with this, you know, prior to to our situation. Do you think that he? had it in his intention from the moment he met you to get this done? Or do you think that this was something that came about as a plan that throughout your relationship, he was like, you know what? We might as well get to this. I, I believe it it could be the latter. Um, He, I don't think I mentioned this previously, but he was a con artist. Mm -hmm. So, he made his living, if you will, um, by conning other people, um, by stealing. Um, he had a a felony for breaking and entering, um, Mm. from years ago. Um, he'd been in trouble, um, for various other crimes. Um, just a lot of it, petty stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but the the idea of working an honest job 
you know, nine to five and earning um, a paycheck was not appealing to him. So always looking for the next way to con somebody. Um, And unfortunately, there were a lot of um, cons that I had to become involved in. Um, As I said, I didn't have a choice uh, in the thick of this. Either I did what I was told or, you know, I got beat and I still had to do what I was told. So to answer your question, yeah, I think whether or not that's what he initially thought when he met me, um, I do believe that his plan was to move into this trafficking direction at some point. Point, Especially because I believe he had prior experience with it, knowing yeah. exactly how it would go, um, knowing how much money I could make, knowing how to advertise, knowing how to communicate with these clients. Um, it was not like a trial and error thing at all. Right. From the right. very beginning, he had it down to a T. Wow. Um. So yeah, it, it, that became my life, um, every day, um, multiple times a day I would have a client, um, and, um, I, I will say if I could consider myself lucky in this situation, um, I wasn't a prostitute, so I wasn't forced to have sex with these clients. Um, It doesn't really make the situation that much better though. And in fact, that was something that was another um, abusive technique that he would use is tell me, well, Hey, it's not as bad as it could be for you because I don't make you have sex with these clients. Right. Um, And he would say, well, I don't beat you as badly as some guys beat their women, you know, those are kind of the excuses that um, that he would use and that probably kept me in that situation for longer. It mm-hmm. sort of brainwashing me into believing um, that the situation wasn't as bad as it was. There wasn't as bad as it could have been. And in some ways I think I had to believe that just to kind of preserve my own sanity mm-hmm. Um at at that time. Um, if, if I believed that it wasn't as bad as it could be or as bad as it felt, then I could keep going. Right. And I could deal with it. Something I want to point out with the clients is that there was no specific age or race or demographic or anything so these men were all different ages, um, all really? different ethnicities. Um, m- many times, or I would say probably most of the time, they were married. Um, and um, either they were in a relationship where it would not have been an issue if their wife knew um, 
or maybe it, it would have been an issue. Um, I don't know, but it definitely was another thing that made me feel very uncomfortable in that situation when I had a client and I clearly can see his wedding ring. Wow. Um, and there are a number of different stories I could tell you from that time. Um, like for example, one of the things that he would do if, uh, a client for whatever reason, um, pissed him off in communication, he would, he would tell me in advance, okay, we're going to get this guy. Um, so I've told him, you know, he's going to come over and have sex with you. Um, and he's, he's bringing, um, he's bringing wine, he's bringing condoms. Um, and, um, you're going to charge him triple. So when mm-hmm. he comes over, get the money up front. And then once he's um, completely undressed, I'm going to come out and I'm the undercover cop and I'm going to throw him out of here and we'll be done in about two minutes. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you know, a con on top of a con basically, oh, you know? Oh. Um, and so that was something he would do sometimes. Um and so by this time, he's also, he's probably healed from, from his injury, correct? Yeah. He's healed from his injury. Yeah. By this time. He never got a job. No, no. Cause we were, we were making, I was making so much money, mm-hmm. um, from this and, um, he was spending money though, just as fast as I could make it. Wow. He would rent. Um, luxury sports cars. Mm-hmm. Um, he would buy an 80 inch TV and then return or exchange it by a different one. Um, leather sofas, furniture, drugs. Um, basically anything that he wanted, he would buy for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not able to use or spend any of the money. However, um, I think there was at one time I remember um, buying myself something and he was, he was so angry mm. um, and lectured me for hours. Um, if I needed clothes, um, he would, um, he, for example, got me clothes one time from um, an apartment that, uh, someone was evicted from because they were a heroin addict and they weren't paying the rent. And so basically brought me a garbage bag full of clothes and just said, watch out for the needles, you know? That's... So that was, that was him taking care of me. Um, and that's um, something I want to point out about human trafficking uh, is that in those situations um, and and part of the definition of human trafficking, um, the victim does not get any of the money. Mm. So human trafficking is the um, force or coercion or manipulation of a person 
to provide services or labor mm-hmm. to someone else for which they are not paid. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, um, that's what it was. And that continued, um, until, uh, right before the end of the relationship. Mikey, I just, I just want to, um, I, I just want to say from just hearing the story myself, uh, on the other side, like, first of all, you're so brave, uh, for, for coming to tell this story. Um, and, and, and I know that this is going to help so many people who are, who may be experiencing this or who may find themselves in a predicament where they're speaking with someone kind of in your situation, just for them to, to see the signs so they don't necessarily have to to come into this and in, into the same predicament that you've had to go through mm-hmm. but while you're like, to me, like my heart is just, is, is full um, right now. Just, just hearing your story and it is, it's hurting because, you know, you've had to go through such a, such a painful experience, mm-hmm. uh, but it's also inspiring because I know that there's, there's, there's more to come. The story is not done yet. And so, mm-hmm. And that's why you and I are even having this conversation right now. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I just, I just really want to just say you're, you're amazing. You're brave uh, just, you. just for being able to, to be here and, and share this story. And this, I know this is not easy. It might not be yeah. easy for you in any way, shape or form. And, and I want our listeners to understand that, um, that this is not an easy to- story to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but because, of the fact that she wants to advocate against it and she wants to help others through it. She's willing to be vulnerable and sharing her story in this way. So I just, I just really, yeah, be, before we get into the next part of, of this, of this uh, episode, I just really want to reiterate that and just thank you so much for this vulnerability, Marky. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, thank you for, for pointing that out. And I, um, you know, I agree. It's, it's definitely not something that's comfortable for me. And I think a lot of survivors and victims are not comfortable talking about their experience. Mm. Um, partly because of the brainwashing by the abuser and mm. then being led to believe that it's their fault that they are being abused. So there's a lot of that. It takes a while to overcome that idea that it's your fault or that you caused it or you deserved it. And then secondly, um, how you'll be perceived by, by others, by society, by your family, by your friends, not everybody, unfortunately has a good experience when they um, open up about their story. If they choose to do that, Um, I, I can, say for myself, it's, um, unfortunately by some of the people closest to me, I had the worst reactions and did not get the support that I was hoping I would. Um, sorry for that. It's, you know, it's, um, it's okay. And I think, I think things happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, not that I would 
want to go through or experience any of that again. Um, but I'm also able to reflect and recognize that I am here, you know, and I, I did survive everything and it, yes, it could have been worse and it definitely impacted me negatively, but I've been able to use that and turn it into something positive. Yeah. So Marky, can you tell us how you got out of this situation? Mm -hmm. So in the fourth year, I, I was kind of at like the end of my rope. Mm -hmm. Um, Every time he attacked me, I was getting death threats. Mm. threatening to strangling me threatening to kill me holding a weapon at me threatening to kill me um any little thing could set him off um and i i hated my life i i didn't have friends i didn't have family i felt completely isolated nobody knew what was happening nobody knew what was going on and um, I, I hated what had happened to me. I hated who I'd become. Um, and I was really struggling with um, believing that um, I had a purpose or believing that my life was going to be anything different. Um. And I really was just kind of like about to give up, you know, I was like, okay, um, do I, do I just, you know, not stop fighting and just let him kill me? Do I ask him to kill me? Do I kill myself? Like, how do I, there's no like escape from the situation other than death was kind of what I thought. Um, but I'm also a um, a very spiritual person, a very faith-based person. And at this time, I was really communi- trying to communicate with God and just say, why, <laughs> why am I in this situation? You know, and like, is this, is this where I'm supposed to, it ends. Um, and I felt like I was being told not to give up yet and to keep going and to start looking for help. Um, and so with that in mind, I started looking for help and I found, um, a domestic violence legal advocate. And mind you, I had to be very careful about this process of even looking for something like that because my phone was constantly being monitored. You know, he might just walk in the room and grab my phone and and look at it and see what I was looking at or who I might've been talking to or what I was doing. Um, So I found an advocate um, through the YWCA Seattle and I was able to meet with her secretly. Um, and just told her, um, what was going on. And at at that appointment with her, I remember feeling so uncomfortable and like, 
embarrassed, honestly, mm-hmm. which I shouldn't have felt, but that's how I did feel. And I was telling myself, you probably don't even belong here. Like this is for people that have real problems and really bad relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, more likely than not, she's, she's going to just tell you to go home and try to work it out with your boyfriend. That's how brainwashed I was. Even at the level, like the level of violence that I was experiencing, death threats, um, you know, some injuries I'd sustained, um, the whole trafficking situation, like even at that, I was, I was so brainwashed. I was not sure that if I went to ask for help, that I was going to receive help um, because I was believing this lies from him that it, it's not as bad as it could be. And so at our appointment, the advocate was asking me um, a series of questions. And she said, these are to determine the level of danger that you're in. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, started off with, has your partner ever made you feel uncomfortable? Um, mm-hmm. Has your partner ever um, threatened you in some way, shape, or form? Mm -hmm. Have they ever thrown an object in your direction? Have they ever put their hands on you? Have they threatened to kill you? If they were going to kill you, how would they do it? Mm -hmm. And I had answers and responses to all these questions and things that you you shouldn't know how your partner is going to kill you. Yeah. Um, And so she said at the end, um, you know, based on your answers and, and, um, national statistics, according to your, those responses, he's going to kill you. Wow. And, um, she said it, it could be accidental. It might be intentional, but she said, he's going to kill you. Um, and she said, I can't ever tell anybody what to do. I can't tell you, you need to leave him now. Here's what you need to do. She said, that's not my job. I can't tell you that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can tell you uh, that I'm here to offer help if if you want it. And that if and when you're ready to leave, I can help you figure out all the next steps. That's that's amazing that she was there for you in in Mm -hmm. that process, not just getting out, but also Mm -hmm. what to do after you got out. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and, um, unfortunately I still wasn't convinced after that initial meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, I was scared as well. I thought if I, if I leave, what is he going to, you know, he's going to try to kill me. That's he's done that multiple times. Um, and I, I thought, you know what, I can, I can figure this out. I I've got it. I I'll, I'll figure it out. Um, but I don't, I don't need to, I don't need domestic violence assistance. I'm, I've got this. <laughs> right. Um, a couple of weeks later, you know, I experienced another violent attack. Um, and I think that really did it for me. And I, it, it sort of finally clicked and I thought, okay, he's, he's not going to change. Like no. this is just going to keep happening. She's right. He's going to kill me. So I went back to her and said, okay, I need, I need your help. 
And um, from there, she helped me um, with safety planning to leave. She um, wrote a letter so I was able to legally break my lease. So she mailed it after I was safely away. Mm -hmm. Um, She eventually helped me get into um, uh, some housing, some rental assistance, helping Mm -hmm. me get back on my feet. Um, She helped me in court when I was um, pursuing a protection order. Mm -hmm. So she really, um, throughout the process of, of escaping, she really helped me a lot. She helped me get into um, uh, some counseling and therapy. Um, I was able to get benefits with the, um, the Washington state crime victims compensation. Um, And so it was, it was critical. Um, her assistance was critical for me to, to escape and to, and to get into the next steps to restart my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I'll, something I'll point out um, because if, if people are wondering, you know, why did you go to a domestic violence advocate versus, uh, you know, human trafficking resources or anything else. Right. Um, and the, the, the thing is, at that time, I didn't understand what human trafficking was. Mm. So I did actually, I actually did not know I was being trafficked until I started having interviews with police and detectives. Um, and they actually defined it for me. Mm-hmm. They recognized that that was human trafficking and they referred to my boyfriend as my pimp. Wow. So, um, so I just in case anyone wonders, that's I went to a domestic violence advocate because hmm. that's all yeah. I understood at the time is that this is domestic violence. I had no idea that uh, there was a whole other situation of human trafficking that I was involved in until wow. after the fact. So what, what did they, like, how did they know that this was, well, I mean, you went through the whole questionnaire, I'm guessing you, you know, you, you explained to them, you interviewed with them um, as to what this is, mm-hmm. but I guess my question is what they, they helped you to come out of this. They were able to help you um, find the right places to, to get away from the situation. But what happens to the trafficker? or the pimp in this, in these types of situations, do they, do they just up and leave or do they like, do they get apprehended and and thrown a book of law? What, what happens next? Because I feel like sometimes that's something that we don't really necessarily hear. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, And unfortunately in my situation and as I understand from some other situations and, and um, survivors of human trafficking that I've connected with is that oftentimes the pimp, the trafficker um, um, gets away wow. and is not caught and then probably waits some time and then starts again somewhere else um, in some other really extreme cases or especially in cases where children are being trafficked. 
Mm-hmm. I, there is a lot more aggressive pursuit um, by law enforcement. Um, and it's possible that I could have pursued that in my own situation. But for me, when, when I was out of there and I was safe, I had so much trauma, Mm. you know, and PTSD and depression and anxiety that Mm -hmm. I was trying to, um, to deal with and to process Mm -hmm. to get back on my feet and to get it, you know, um, get a a stable living situation and, and to be safe that it was, I think for me, it would just have been, it was too overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I, and I did make an effort. I, like I said, I did get the protection order. Um, I've interviewed with detectives in three different counties and uh, multiple police reports. I mean, my statement was um, over 10 pages, single space, recounting all the abuse and everything that had happened. Um, but in terms of, um, pursuing justice and taking things further. It was just too much for me at that time. I was just so overwhelmed that I needed, I realized like I need to um, focus on my own healing and um, mental, emotional and physical well being, and just focus on moving forward. Yeah. And, and I definitely, I understand that 100 and, and as much as I can understand without necessarily having ever been in this position. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I wish that there was like some sort of branch in, in in the police services that would just do this for for the victim, you know, or, or try to fight in a sense with without necessarily having to have you there at the forefront every mm-hmm. step of the but to be able to put these these men or whoever it is uh, in 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 jail in prison because you know it's yeah. if you're able to just up and leave and then do it again with someone else it's just mm-hmm. it's just such a sad situation. Um, yeah, and again, I th- I think there are in certain situations. I think when when law enforcement know um that trafficking is happening in a particular area or to a particular group of women or children or or men too are trafficked. Um, There will be sting operations to, you know, to bust the trafficker. And so I I know that does happen. Mm. Um, I know that's happening in Seattle. I know that's happening in other States, but um, unfortunately I mean, human trafficking is a $150 billion industry. You know, it's happening. It it is more common than people think. It's just overwhelming. Um, And so at at current, I don't believe that law enforcement are even able to keep up with, with human trafficking. Marky, I've, yeah, I, so I've, I've personally never had a conversation with someone, um, in this way where, where they've had, uh, this, this happened to them. Mm-hmm. And like the, I, I feel like, I don't know. I, I, I don't even know what to say. I'm just, uh, I'm, 
I'm baffled. I'm I'm angry. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm saddened. Um, I'm inspired by who you are. It's there's, there's so much emotions that are going on through listening to your story because you know it's making me wonder too, like how what what can I do to to make sure that this never happens to someone who I know, you know, or, or how, or not even just who I know, how do I, you know, fight this actively? Mm -hmm. I just, I just really want to say thank you for, for taking this time. Um, You don't really even know me that well, but for you to, to be willing to, to come onto our platform and and share, like, I just, Mm -hmm. I just want to continue to reiterate that Mm -hmm. as much as I can. So, Yeah. yeah, absolutely. My, my pleasure. And it's, um, it's taken me a number of years to be able to, to share my story. And I still have some of the trauma that I have to work through. Um, but I'm more encouraged to share my story now because, um, I know there are a number of victims who are never going to be able to tell their story either because they aren't able to escape their situation or their situation was even more traumatic than mine. And they are just not ever going to be um, of a place where they can, can talk about their experience. Mm -hmm. So if it helps by sharing my story um, with you and with others, if that can help um, create awareness and, potentially help someone else who's going through that situation or who mm-hmm. might encounter that, then um, that's something I would, would like to continue to do. And, and we have to remember that your story didn't end there, right? Your story didn't end. Yeah. At that and so you are here now. Um, you're, uh, you're an advocate now mm-hmm. for or against human trafficking. Mm-hmm. You're, you're an athlete. You're, you have been an inspiration to so many people. You are an entrepreneur. You're helping our society in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. So your, your story hasn't ended at that point, and your story still isn't done. But can, mm-hmm. you, can you tell us a little bit more about um, those, those steps that it took from, from that point to, to where you are right now? Yeah, so I, I would describe it as an uphill battle mm-hmm. or at least – the first two years after almost three years after, um, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically struggling every single day, you know, the depression, anxiety, the PTSD, I physically felt that. So, Mm. you know, waking up every day and getting motivated to, you know, go out and go to work and be around people and try to live a quote unquote normal life. It was a real challenge. Mm. Um, and I had to address, uh, a lot of things within myself and ask myself, you know, uncomfortable questions such as like, you know, how did this happen? Like how, when you, when I recognized, started seeing things that were, um, not right things that are red flags. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, why, why did I continue to stay with him when I was being called names, when I was being insulted, when I was being emotionally abused and it wasn't 
violent yet. It wasn't so crazy. He didn't have total control. Why did I stay in that situation? And, and what do I not, what did I not love about myself enough? Or what do I not love about myself enough right now that allowed that to happen? And how do I fix that? Mm -hmm. Um, so really trying to do a lot of self-reflection, um, and to change the way I felt about myself. Um, so a lot of it was making sure I, you know, surrounded myself with positive messages and quotes. I would, you know, follow pages on Instagram or accounts that had, you know, messages specifically to survivors of abuse and just little things I had to remind myself multiple times a day um, that I didn't deserve what had happened. It wasn't my fault. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, you know, perhaps there was a lack of self-love there and how do I show myself more love? How do I believe that, um, I have value? How do I believe I have, I am worthy? Um, Mm -hmm. so really trying to increase my self-confidence, my self-love, um, and, um, and also believing that, my life wasn't completely over. That wasn't it. You know, I'm still young. I'm still in my twenties. You know, the first half of my twenties was terrible, but I still have time to, I have my whole life ahead of me. So not giving up on myself. Um, and it's easier said than done. And I think a lot of victims will fall into that trap and survivors will fall into that trap of, um, just holding on to what happened in the past and preventing themselves to getting ahead. And so, I told myself, you know, you got to get, you got to get your mind in a healthier space. You you know, you have to turn this around. You have to prove, um, you know, not to anybody else, but to yourself that, you know, you're capable of overcoming this and, and becoming something different than the abuse and the trauma that you've been through. Hmm. And um, that's when I get got into fitness. Um, I, you know, really didn't have much experience with it. Um, again, that was something I was not allowed to go to the gym and work out because I would be around other people. So it was, um, prohibited from, from going to a gym or training. Um, but I knew that's what people did. Um, and oftentimes did to help themselves feel better mentally and emotionally, not just physically. So that's when I got into fitness. Um, very randomly, um, or maybe God put this idea in my head of bodybuilding. Um, and so that's something I got into um, the same year that I escaped my abuser. I, I started bodybuilding and um, didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anyone in the sport. I didn't know any competitors. I didn't know any trainers or coaches. I, I knew nothing. I just had this idea and went with it. Mm-hmm. Did all my own research online and did my first competition in the fall of 2015. And I, I got fourth place. Oh, wow. You um, went, you went right into it. Yeah, I went right into it. Um, and then the next year I did more competitions. And so it just kind of continued to grow. Um, during that time I was still, uh, occasionally, um, hearing from my abuser, my trafficker, um, he would reach out from different phone numbers or email 
addresses. Um, on the day of my competition, he I, he actually reached out and was threatening me. Um, so it was kind of a, a lot of crazy things like that um, that that happened over the next um, few years. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't let that intimidate me or, or prevent me from, from pushing forward. And in fact, that's when I start, I be started becoming more vocal about um, oh. domestic violence and human trafficking and, and yeah. really trying to, as I was gaining momentum and, and um, um, some getting some notice on social media with the fitness and the bodybuilding, I started mm -hmm. using that to also, um, advocate for victims and survivors and speaking out against domestic violence, against human trafficking. It's amazing. Thank um, you. you were able to do that in the midst of all of this while you're still, you know, you're trying to move forward and he's still reaching out to you, mm -hmm. but you decided to use your platform to, to, to give awareness to, to these types of, to, mm -hmm. to this major issue that we're seeing right yeah. now. So, wow. I, I must commend you for that. That's, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, I've been, I've been just trying to level up every year and do something, you know, to reach more people. I've done, um, um, a, a lot of work with various nonprofits in our area. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've, I've sometimes worked directly with victims of domestic violence or human trafficking in actual, in the shelters. Sometimes it's just a matter of helping with their fundraisers. Um, I've worked with the Washington state coalition against domestic violence. I've worked at their, um, main fundraiser, which is the refuse to abuse 5k. So I've gotten to lead the 5k and do the warm up for, you know, 2000 people, um, I, um, in 20, uh, 2019 launched, um, or I'm sorry, 2018 launched my podcast, um, project Marky. Um, and, um, it was, uh, or I'm sorry. Yes, it was 2019. Sorry. I'm, I'm mixing my years up now <laughs> in 2019. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I started to lose track of time in 2019. I launched my podcast project. Marky. Cool. And that was because I, I thought I want to um, take the platform that I have in and use that to elevate other survivors so they can share their stories mm -hmm. and, and hopefully offer a cathartic experience for them as well as reach other victims who need to hear these inspirational stories so they can have hope. Mm -hmm. um, and it was never my intention to share my story on the podcast. I didn't want to talk about myself. It was still too vulnerable. Um, okay. But my producers really encouraged me to do so and said, you know, not only does it kind of give you authority to, to speak on these subjects, but it makes the podcast, um, it, it makes more sense and why this is something um, that is personal to you and important to you. And so yeah. that was the first time I actually really shared my story publicly over two episodes. Wow. Um, um, and, uh, and then 2020 things, you know, unfortunately were interrupted and, and so we didn't have another season, um, a kind of an unexpected year for a lot of people, but, um, in 2021, we're looking at getting uh project Marky podcast started again. I've got a couple co-hosts that I'm 
talking with now. And um, so, yeah, that's one of probably the main project that I have um, on the radar this year. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I want to help support any way that we can and, and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll uh, advertise it on Madcasters uh, as much Thank as we you. can. Yeah. I love that. I love what you're doing. Um, I, I I love your your, your story uh, to have the bravery to, to to express it and and the fact that you're here survive as a survivor here telling us your story. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's amazing because you never know um, where where that could have turned mm-hmm. uh, because there are people who made who, who we will never be able to hear their story. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's a very uh, disheartening. And a tragic uh, situation that we're dealing with in our in, in our society today, um, but once again, just really want to reiterate the fact that I love that you're able to to move forward in the, in this season of your life, uh, sharing your story, but also looking for ways to thrive and and to make impacts into into our society. So I, I think it's it's honorable. You're, you're a real life. Uh, here I, I like how they say I, I don't like the way they say heroin because it sounds um, like the oh, right. <laughs> yeah. But you are you are a real life heroine and Thank um you. it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh just I, I mean I just feel even honored just being in the same chat room with you. So Thank you. one day when we get to meet sometime. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. This was part one of part two of our special episode with Marquis Williams. And so part two is on our next episode. Be sure to listen and to hear how you can actively help understand what's happening in the world of human trafficking, but also dismiss any myths and false pretenses that human trafficking has. And so please take the time to go into our next episode of Madcasters, where we delve a little bit more into the prevention and more understanding and facts behind human trafficking. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Madcasters. Please leave a positive review if you like today's episode wherever you're listening. Be sure to follow us at Madcasters on Instagram, Madcasters on Facebook, and www.madcasters.com, where you can sign up to our email listing. You'll be able to get updates, surveys, and many more surprises. You will also be able to access shows, blogs, book reviews, and spotlight organizations. So if you enjoyed what you heard on their episode, you can support their mission and their cause. If you would like to support Madcasters even more to fulfill our mission and vision, please go to Patreon page, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash Madcasters. I'll be giving out a free book monthly to Patreon supporters, and there are many more surprises and special perks for Patreon supporters only. This is the end of our episode, but trust me, this is not the last. I don't know about you, but I am having a blast. But don't forget, Madcasters, this is the launch pad for you to go mad. Mad.